You're listening to the best barbecue show, the show where we talk, taste, and even try to cook the best barbecue in Texas, which is the best barbecue in the world. Today we're talking to Bram Tripp at Loro. Uh, Loro is truly an expansion of Texas barbecue and what it means. Uh, it's an Asian smokehouse where you can get a cold smoke steak that's confit and beef fat and finished on a grill works inferno, uh, which if you don't know what that is, I'll give you a second to Google it. Go ahead. It's worth the wait. Uh, this is a giant grill with multiple shelves that allows you to cook down huge logs of wood into perfectly made coals so that you can cook all of your food to exactly the temperature you like. But I digress. My guest today is Bram Tripp, a man who, after discovering the benefits of hard work in a high-end kitchen, decided to work at the pit room in Houston before he became the pit master here at Loro. Uh, a truly diverse man who gets to cook in an amazing space. With their counter service, it's easy to grab a quick bite uh, or take a huge table with friends and try a little of everything. Before we start the show, I'd like to remind you to check out our store at www.bestbbqshow.com uh, for all of your favorite Best Barbecue gear, including a new Meatman phone case available for all Apple and Galaxy phones. That's bestbbqshow.com. Uh, but without further ado, enjoy this fun conversation with Bram Tripp at Loro Asian Smokehouse. I'm here at Loro Austin with Bram Tripp. How's it going, Bram? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Uh, so you've got the coolest looking smokehouse I've been to in a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, How is it? Great job. It's it's been awesome. It's been absolutely awesome. And uh, when did you guys open? Uh, we opened five months ago in April. And did you all do like a soft opening or had you already been uh, practicing? Yeah, we, uh, we got a really good test run right out of the gates. We had a buyout during South By, nice. which uh, was shortly after we got into the building and had a brand new staff. So it was a really good test of everybody's uh, abilities. So you guys are serving on paper trays? Yep. And is that like a, oh, you do the little metal ones, right? Yeah, we've got the little metal ones, uh, you know, wax paper instead of butcher paper. Uh, and then several of the other dishes on the menu are more formally plated, but uh, all in keeping with our MO of running about 12-minute ticket times. Wow. Can. That's uh, a mark that we really like to hit. And so what, what does it take to have a 12-minute ticket time? That's just you make sure that everything fires within that time? Yeah. And is that how many guys are back there working with you? That's uh, seven to nine. And you have it, I mean, we'll go look at it in a little bit. It looks pretty open, though. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's uh, divided up pretty well. It's uh, pretty seamless for us to get food out of the kitchen. Uh, we have a nice, we've got a big, long pass, so that helps out a lot. And do you all do the whole, like, are you, is someone kind of running it, or you're running it, and you check every plate before it goes out and all that? Yeah. So, uh, myself, uh, there's two sous chefs, Kyle and Yuma, and then our chef de cuisine, uh, JB, who oversee uh kitchen operations at any given time one of us is on the line and your history isn't barbecue it's actually high-end yeah uh, more uh, more italian focused um predominantly in cincinnati and later houston 
And so when did that all start? Was that a few years ago? Uh, Ten years ago. Wow. Yeah. Uh, when I was in college, I started cooking uh, at a restaurant I was bartending at. My, my best friend from high school is the sous chef. And I uh, started picking up more and more shifts in the kitchen and just fell for it, ran with it. And bartenders make a lot more money than chefs, so <laughs> more what were you not, thinking? Yes. <laughs> uh, it's, it was something that I just became really passionate about. I recognized uh, skills that I didn't realize I was cultivating. And do you think, uh, was it Italian-specific, or you were just attracted to being in the kitchen? Uh, I, right off the bat, I was attracted to being in the kitchen. Uh, first restaurant I worked at was more of a Charleston-style southern bistro. Shrimp and grits, things like that. Nice. Uh, and tried and failed with two of my friends to open up a sandwich shop shortly thereafter. And I kind of realized at that point uh, how little I knew about how the uh, kitchen operation was designed to be uh, run. So I ended up working for one of the best chefs in Cincinnati, uh, a guy named Christian Piatoso. And it took me under his wing and showed me everything I didn't know. How how'd you score that? Uh, I walked in one day and uh, interviewed. I'd been eating at his restaurant for a long time and asked for an application. And did you, you just like the way he cooked the food or were you yeah. actually watching the uh, operations? There's a level, there was a level of uh, precision but also effortless, effortlessness in what he did and a giant restaurant, so uh, high volume at the same time. Well, it sounds like you guys have a lot of high volume here too. You said 1,200 covers on a Saturday? Yeah, I'd say we average about 1,200 on a Saturday. So you work with Christian. Uh, how long were you there? I was there for three years. Uh, Went in as a green line cook and left uh, one of the sous chefs. And give us, you know, a lot of our listeners are pit guys, you know, barbecue guys. What, is, what does that look like? What does that mean when you, when you change those positions? Um, I think that I had a pretty uh, interesting entree into the, the culinary world in that restaurant specifically. A lot of people will start out making salads and apps, and uh, I must have said something uh, arrogant or uh, too full of myself because he took one look at me and threw me right on the pasta line, which is the hardest line on the ki in the kitchen. Wow. Uh, so I started out in an extremely high-volume environment and, and didn't do very well at first. <laughs> I was going to say, you probably had stuff just flying at you. Yeah, yeah. And it was intense. Uh, is it... What, did you like the speed? Did you like the quality? What, what drew you to all that? I did. Uh, I think the first time I, I, I had a successful night with you know, minimal mistakes, uh, there was there's absolutely nothing like that sensation of having an entire kitchen pulled together on a Saturday night with minimal disruptions and uh, just make a lot of people happy, cook out some great food. And once you were, once you got there, was you know, it sounds like you kind of skyrocketed to something great. Like, what, what made you move, from, move on from that? Um, it was time for a change. I wanted to, I wanted to see what other restaurants were like. Uh, I ended up working for a company called Thunderdome Restaurant Group in Cincinnati. Awesome. Uh, who run an operation called Bakersfield. Uh, the MO of Bakersfield's whiskey, uh, tequila, and tacos. And... Uh, did you help design that menu, or you just kind of came, came on? I, I came on as the kitchen manager, and uh, you know, high, another high volume but smaller place. Well, tacos you can you can whip out pretty fast, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. 
And what kind of were you guys making crazy sauces or what? Yeah, did that look like? Uh, handmade flour or handmade corn tortillas. Awesome. Um, and in a probably seventy seat restaurant, we would do we could do four or five hundred covers out of that place, easy. So high turnover. Yeah, I seem to find myself in a lot of high volume restaurants. Well, and you wouldn't think so because you know how many seats are there here? Uh, Three hundred and five, I believe. Okay, so. 1,200 covers is really only like three or four turnarounds. Three or four turns, yeah. Awesome. Uh, and so, so you went to Thunderdome? Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people don't, even in Austin, people don't know the names of a lot of these restaurant groups, so it's fun to have, you know, to, to know the, the, the group's name. Did you kind of stay with those guys for a while? or? Uh, I stayed with them for about a year and a half, um, and I Got the travel bug again. Uh, my mom was moving to Houston, needed some help with the, the move. So I came down really just to help facilitate that for a couple of weeks and uh, was absolutely blown away by the food scene. Awesome. Yeah, we're, uh, we're really enjoying the difference, the juxtaposition of Austin versus Houston, even in just barbecue. But uh, every time I'm down there, uh, my old co-host, when we were down there, he was like getting frustrated because I was like, let's go get <laughs> fried chicken. Let's go to this donut shop. He's yep. like, do you ever stop eating? I'm like, no, absolutely <laughs> not. Not if I only have a couple days. Absolutely. Uh, it's a great town for that. Yeah. You have a you have a favorite neighborhood or a few favorites in Houston you like to eat at? Um, I, I lived and worked in Montrose and Midtown. So, uh, so I used to be able to walk to my pho spot, Pho Saigon, and... Uh, Mala Sichuan in Montrose, nice. also a, a spot that we hit a lot. Do you think, uh, do you have an understanding? Because I haven't really talked to anyone about this, but it seems like the pho, there, there's a little more Asian influence in Houston, and I don't know how that didn't make it to Austin and some of the other cities. Yeah, it's uh, fascinating. Uh, Houston, I believe, is the most diverse city in the country now. Really? And I'm pretty sure the highest population of Vietnamese outside of maybe San Francisco. I don't know. I have to, I'd have to fact check that, but uh, it definitely impacts the city in a uh, very positive way. We're like the Joe Rogan podcast. We do about that much <laughs> fact checking on everything. <laughs> Heard. So, uh, so what first caught your eye in Houston? What you were, you just seeing all the different types of restaurants or? Yeah. Uh, I, whenever I move to a new place, I tend to spend at least a week driving around, getting lost and trying to find my way back home. And in Houston, there's ample opportunity for that. You know, it's the size of New Jersey. Yeah, right? Uh, so I found myself uh, going to more and more uh, disparate corners of the city, found my way to Bel Air, and was just blown away by you know miles and miles of uh, region-specific Asian cuisine that I'd never experienced before. And it's funny you talk about getting lost, because uh, I used to, when I used to travel before we all had phones with maps, I used to actually carry a hiking GPS. <laughs> and it didn't have any maps on it, but I would just put a pin where I knew I was supposed to be, and I would just take off. Nice. Uh, I used to ride a long, I took a long board to San Francisco, and I ended up losing it on the train <laughs> and uh, having to find my way back. But, it's easier than printing, uh, printing directions off a of MapQuest. Well, and it, it just, my, I grew up with my dad selling real estate, so he kind of taught me how to get my bearings and taught me all that stuff. So once I, uh, once I realized that that was actually like something that I had over my friends, you know, and growing up in New York, you just are kind of always fighting about how to get everywhere. Like, yeah. what, which route are you taking? Wait, where are you going? <laughs> uh, but it, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing because we have a lot of, there's a lot of, I don't know if it's FOMO, but it's like this, oh, what's the best? What's the restaurant I should go to? What's, you know, and I tell people, just go eat. Yeah, just, exactly. Just Take go a explore. Chance. Always. 
and you don't know because uh, you might go to a, a little Vietnamese place that has something that you've never even heard of that's yep. the best thing you've ever eaten. All right. Yeah. So you were, you were in the Houston scene. You, you love the diversity. Where'd you end up working there? Uh, I ended up working for, for a very, very short period of time, uh, but ultimately fortuitous at uh, Liberty Kitchen in River Oaks. Okay. Uh, and shortly thereafter, found my way to the opening staff of Cultivare, nice. which is an amazing farm-to-table Italian restaurant. I've, I've heard a little bit about it. So are they partnered with farmers there, or is it Texas farmers? Uh, predominantly Texas farmers. Uh, there's also a 3,000-square-foot garden on site. So they do uh, some really fascinating stuff with indigenous produce and, you know, trying to bring back heirlooms. They're growing their own corn now. Wow. And so was that, were you a part of the farming as well as the kitchen? Uh, we, all spent, we all spent some time in the garden. Um, we, they, they have a, uh, an amazing guy on staff who handles the vast majority uh, of that, but we did get to see that side of the operation. I wish I could have done more. Uh, not sure I was necessarily born with a green thumb. Well, and I think it's a, it's almost like a chef's dream to connect with the food on that level. Absolutely, it's it makes it so much cool, so much cooler, so much more worthwhile. Was it, did you have like a, a favorite plant or one that gave you a lot of trouble or anything? Uh, there's I mean there's nothing like tomato season for me. There's some and the tomatoes were growing adjacent to where all the herbs were going, so you get that aroma of ripening tomatoes with oregano and thyme and lemongrass and stuff like that it's it's really solid well and there's i'm uh brad orison from the shed in mississippi he gave me this book he was reading uh called the third plate uh david i can't remember his name sorry uh but it's really interesting because it talks about how the dirt can actually improve the flavor profile of the vegetables yeah so when you have your own dirt when you have your own tomato like a tomato a carrot some of those things are that 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 dirt is expressed almost in a better way than some of you know than like if you eat a potato. Yeah. Uh, so that's so cool that you got to connect on that level. Uh, did you guys have any were there challenges? Did you have to like fight off aphids or anything over there? Um, I, I feel like that was definitely a problem. Houston definitely has a, an abundance of wildlife, uh, mostly of the insect variety. Nice. Uh, and of course, you know, heavy heavy rains. Well, and that's. That's good up to a point, right? Yeah. And then it starts to get bad? Yeah. I mean, when it, the, we did have a few washouts. Wow. Um, from you know, torrential rains. downpours. Well, and you guys but are like in the woods here, so huh? you <laughs> yeah. might have like coyotes walking around your restaurant when you're closed. Yeah. They say uh, coyotes are in every city in America now. Really? Yeah. They just kind of pop back up? Yep. Yeah. I saw uh, one of my friends in San Francisco posted one on Instagram, like this, uh, this coyote doesn't care about nothing. It's just like walking <laughs> along the road in San Francisco. Uh, so are you, you guys doing any gardening here? Or? Uh, we have been talking about it for a while. Um, I think that the strength of our opening uh, has left little time for us to really entertain a lot of all of our crazy ideas. It's more just been uh, hammering out all of our uh, procedures, making sure that we can keep doing this consistently. And do you feel like, because I'm a big planner myself, do you feel like there's a lot of satisfaction in just planning how everything works? Absolutely. It's one of my favorite parts about opening a brand new restaurant is figuring it out. And you guys probably have like tweezers and cool forks and spoons back there to test everything. <laughs> Not a lot and... of, uh, I mean, yeah, that, that definitely happens. We all have our tweezers, but we, I'd say we rarely get a chance to use them. 
Um, but are you down to like where you put the trays and how the whole kitchen's laid out? Yeah, or? yeah, uh, and of, uh, of course, with only you know five six months of months of practice, it's it's down to change again. But uh, we've had a few really big pushes towards getting things totally organized, absolutely everything within arm's reach, and now we're adding uh, to go service as well. Oh, I saw so that. That's, yeah, uh, an additional uh, element of equipment in the kitchen. And is that is that going to add on to? The demand, or is that just something you? It just looks like another uh, meal that you just kind of pack. Yeah, differently. I don't think it's gonna. It's the plating is the same, so I don't think it's gonna be a hindrance for our staff whatsoever. Uh, definitely looking forward to an uptick in business. Nice. Yeah. So you it can sounds like up. you guys have been cruising up since uh yeah. since you opened. Yeah, it's been great. And so, do you do you feel like like the karage and certain things? Uh, do you have a plan for when you send that stuff to go? Because like. You don't want that. You want it to still have that crunch. You want to have that like freshness and things that are in to-go containers tend to like steam. We did uh, we did several dry runs uh, with the to-go program, uh, mostly for our corporate office, and uh, we had a lot of positive feedback as to how the sh the food showed up. So there's not a whole lot of quality loss. Granted, it was a short drive, but you know. yeah, but that's awesome. Yeah. See, and, and it's cool because I think about these things a lot too, and it's awesome that you know you're thinking, oh, okay. We got to, like, did you just put it in the container and then wait, or? Basically, did, yeah. Did you, like, yeah, throw it in someone's backside, drive time around the block? And, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, I mean, it, it's really, it's beautiful to see when you think of these things, because it's way better than getting a phone call after the first to-go order and having to deal with it, you know? Yeah. Do yeah, we've all been there. Do you, uh, you, like, do you just come up with that, or you just, you've been through it all, so you just kind of thought of it? Uh, I, Personally, I've been through it a little bit, and we, we have a, uh, an upper management staff that's well-versed in all of these procedures. So tell us about the staff. Have they come from other restaurants in Austin? Do you, uh, you coach some people from Houston? We have uh, a significant amount of people who are already in the Uchi infrastructure, uh, from Uchi Co., uh, Uchi Dallas, uh, various restaurants within the company, uh, a lot of people from St. Philip. Um, and then we have a lot of first-year culinary students and wow. kids who are just anxious to learn, which is awesome. And is that a school in Austin you're getting them from or all over the country? Uh, yeah, there's a, we have several students from Escoffier. And, uh, I mean, they're some of our best employees just because they're hungry for new skills. And is it interesting because, I mean, Houston's always been a foodie town. Austin, not so much. You know, when I moved here a decade ago, there was some good food, but, like, Uchi was one of the only things that, yeah. you know, people saw as high-end. Is it, I mean, you you're basically kind of pushing that uh, that train. So is it is it? Have you heard from people about kind of how the food scene's changing? Or yeah, uh, I had a lot of conversations. I've been coming here for five years since I moved to Texas. So you know, uh, I've been yeah. I, I came here two weeks after I moved to Houston just to check it out and to see a series of concerts. <laughs> the music's good. It's amazing, and that's uh, that's a big part of my life. Well, I was going to ask you because you uh, you know you're a big music guy. And uh, do you have, like, full control of the music in the kitchen? Or? No, actually, our, uh, our training director, uh, Stephen Stanwick, did the majority of the playlist here, and he absolutely killed it. There's, there's a lot of great tunes on there. So you have, like, set playlists just for the restaurant? Uh, yeah, it changes all the time. Because I was going to say, on your Facebook and everything, you're just constantly, you, from Aphex Twin to Country, <laughs> uh, it's, yep. it's cool to see, like, did, did you pick that up in, in kitchens, or where did you, you get all that musical taste? Since I was a kid, I've always been into music. 
what was like what was the first thing that kind of brought you to like old electronica and stuff um <laughs> uh, oddly enough and this is not normative of the scene by, by any means i was i think i was in about sixth grade uh which was you know mid 90s sort of the the apex of that resurgence of uh electronica yeah and just sort of fell into it it was you know the chemical brothers were getting more play on the radio and i was really kind of taking that and running with it uh I would ride my bike to the record store from a young age. Uh, that's where most of my allowance would go. Nice. And I uh, just started collecting CDs and not was never really genre specific, just always seeking for something interesting, something quality. Well, and do you feel like, do you feel like the, uh, the fact that now you can just type in a name and, and add things to playlists, you, is that like an advantage or did you like going through the stack It's of an CDs? advantage insofar as uh, I, I'm never someone who says uh, the music scene is tired or there's no good music anymore because there's tons of it. And I think the, the, the advantage of the online platforms and streaming gives you a wide breadth to discover unsigned artists, artists that are, are a little bit under the radar. Uh, yeah, my, my cup's decorated with a couple of them. Awesome. So. Uh, I'm definitely into it. And you probably have had a few local famous artists here. Yeah. Um, is that cool to have that kind of access? Yeah, it's super cool. Uh, it, everybody, everybody's always happy to see uh, the local scene come through. I mean, they all have to eat, so they might as well come to us. <laughs> well, and, and you probably get to do your chef thing and come out and talk to them. and Less so, uh, just as a matter, as a matter of time. Um, but I did get out to Waterloo this weekend see some friends, uh, some local musicians. Uh, a couple of the prominent bands from, from Waterloo sent their staff in to get to-go food, which nice. is awesome. Well, and, and you have, you, have you had the chance, like when you, know, you hear the buzz of the servers or whoever, they know someone important, or even pitmasters come in, yeah. you, you often like deliver the food yourself. Yeah, you absolutely. always come in. I like visit. to say hi. It's such a. I think uh, barbecue people are more inclined to give scathing feedback if they really don't like something, which I totally appreciate. Why is that? Uh, you got to know. You have to know your audience. You have to know uh, if something came out wrong. Well, and and there is that problem, especially in an Austin, where everyone's. You know, it's great to be in an optimistic city, but sometimes I want to know. Yeah, absolutely. And barbecue is pretty, uh, you know, pretty straightforward to the point. I think the the fact that we all tend to cook the same proteins lends itself to those little nuances and how people cook them is what really shines and makes it important. So before you were here, did you cook briskets? Were you into the barbecue scene in Texas? Yeah. So, uh, two, well, three years ago, we started planning two years ago. We opened the pit room in Houston. Uh, my friend, Michael Sandbrooks and I, and what was that experience like? Uh, I was working at revival market, which is, uh, is there a whole animal butchery, nice, uh, charcuterie place, same owners as, uh, cultivar. Uh, Shout out to Agricola Hospitality. Uh, and I met back up with Michael. We had worked together briefly at Liberty Kitchen. And he had all these plans strewn about a, a table and said he was opening a barbecue restaurant. And we spoke for maybe five minutes. And then he called me two days later and asked if I would come on board. Nice. Which was my first uh, real foray into Texas barbecue. I'd never cooked a brisket. Uh, and thanks to construction delays, uh, dealing with the city with regard to wood-burning smokers within the city limits and all the fun that goes along with that. We had a lot of time to menu test. And so were you just running the smoker? Or were you cooking a couple briskets or were you doing full uh, service? We were doing pop-ups, uh, nice. parties, catering, uh, 
for a couple of high school football teams and stuff. So that got us a lot of volume. Um, but at the same time, we were running out of test kitchen, teaching ourselves how to make sausage, crash course in our way through how to make the best brisket, the best ribs, and so on. Sausage is tough. Yeah, it took us a... I, I feel like I made sausage every day for seven months until I felt like we got it right. I'm pretty sure there's still sausage on my on Michael's wife's uh, kitchen ceiling from the first <laughs> few times we did it. And is that... Were you just trying to get the right mixture of fat? Or? Yeah, uh, trying to get it emulsified correctly. Uh, I think making sausage is one thing, and making a, a proper smoked sausage is a different game. Yeah, uh, Bill Dumas and Chris McGee over mm-hmm. at the Switch, they were telling me that they actually cure them before they cook them. Yeah. Is that something you all did too? Uh, we experimented with that. We, uh, we experimented with uh, a few emulsifiers. Uh, nonfat dry milk powder works really well in a smoked sausage. Really? Um, and just getting the right emulsification level of you know, protein binds on the fat. So, and then again, also smoking it just at about 170 so the fat doesn't render. And so you you did brisket, you did sausage. Was yeah. there, you know, I'm still kind of in my learning phase, I guess, of brisket. I've cooked a few dozen, but I don't feel like I've mastered it. Was there, how was the learning curve for you? Uh, I, we both read Aaron Aaron's book, Cover to Cover. That's a, that's uh, a really good book for yeah, that. Yeah, it's a great, yeah, it's great. Great resource. Um, and very well written. Uh, and a lot of trial and error. I think we made some really bad briskets in the beginning. You have to. And uh, we coming from a, a, a restaurant background, we, I think we were overthinking it quite a bit. I think my first brisket rub had probably nine different ingredients in it. Really? And uh, we ended up with salt and pepper. The, the elusive salt and pepper. Yeah. Uh, and do you care about you know mesh pepper sizes and all that, or did you? Just... Uh, we did. Uh, we did. Uh, two grains uh we did sort of an extra course and then went back over it with half cracked so i had a little bite to it and so while you were cooking it were you you know bark's important uh fat render what's what do you look for while you're cooking the brisket are you are you touching them are you temping them or yeah i'm there's a lot of hands-on uh it's it's not a set it and forget it type of practice for sure well and do you feel like, you know, you're coming from high-end kitchens where you're temping, testing, touching, tasting. Yep. So was it weird to kind of learn everything by feel that way? Uh, there's there's certain aspects of that in, in any type of cooking discipline. It's a method like anything else, like making pasta. Yeah. Um, but there's definitely more room for error when you're doing something for 12 hours. Well, and it's and, like there's more room for error, but the errors happen over a slower yeah. Time period, right? Yeah. If you throw a little bourbon on there, you tend to miss a few things. <laughs> well, and was that a challenge too? Like you're used to high intensity, you know, dinner service to going to long hours watching yeah. fire. and It's kind of cool, actually. It's a different change. of It's a change of pace. Because once, uh, once you open the doors of a, of a barbecue restaurant, you have that intensity. But it's all, you know, serving people as opposed to a la minute cooking. And is it, you know, are, are you the only one working the pits here? Do you have a bunch of guys? Or? Uh, I've got two, uh, two cooks who pretty much do the pit operations with me. And I'm working on training everybody. We're trying to cross-utilize everybody as much as we can. 
Is that like from the servers to? Yeah, everybody asks. Everybody wants to. Everybody wants to spend, wake up at five thirty in the morning with me. That, that, Can't maybe, imagine why. maybe the first few times. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you do a lot of laundry afterwards. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, I uh, when I have my the big smokes, I actually I'll like soak all my clothes before I even put them in the laundry <laughs> because it's just so greasy. You know, you'll like gum up the machine. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's my, almost like oil field work. My my wife likes it when I do da- laundry daily. <laughs> it probably keeps things clean, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you've got this awesome. I mean, this space is just beautiful. It's like it I is. think it's, the floor is uh, post oak, right? Uh, yeah. Yep. Uh, designed to look like a Texas dance hall, but Uchi style. And they really killed it. I mean, this especially when this place is full and the sun's dropped and all these lights are on. It's it's beautiful. Yeah, I mean, we, we got lucky with a cloudy day because it helps my film come out better. <laughs> but uh, is it, was it interesting? Were you, did you get to see kind of this place develop? Were you brought in before the building was here? Or? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started with the company back in February. Uh, I moved to Austin, got married, and started this job all within about a three-week period. Boom, boom. Try to get it all out of the way. <laughs> Congratulations, uh, dude. Thank you. Uh, but yeah, it's, most of this was... Starting to come together. I mean, there were no tables. The kitchen was uh, still being formed, uh, which was kind of cool to see. It's always nice to see the bones of the building you're about to work in and all the potential that it has. And do you feel like, because, I mean, the, we're sitting at a, you know, a picnic bench. You could see it like a high school yard, you know? Is it is it fun to kind of juxtapose high-end things with just like simple tables? and? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the expectation that certain that some people had for this place was that it was going to be more high end, um, whereas I think that we succeeded. Uh, we succeed when we're keeping things casual, and the the food looks and the the food is of a high quality and looks good on the plate, but it's also convenient, fast, and I would say cost effective. Well, and Austin in general is kind of this place where people want high end stuff, but they also want to feel like they're in a backyard. Yeah, exactly. So, this is exactly, you know, what, what the locals are looking for. Do you get, I'm sure you've had people from all over the world here. Since we have, yeah. It's been pretty cool. And is it just, you know, you, you said you like, you like to hear the, the full spectrum of reviews. Is it, is it mostly positive? Have you gotten yeah. some interesting negative feedback or have you gotten any funny complaints? Um, I think, again, people didn't know what to expect and kind of formulated their own opinions of what this was going to be. Uh, so people might have been thrown off by counter service as opposed to having servers, but honestly, I, I think it's I think we've streamlined the uh, the experience to where it, it's good for everybody. And does the line start to get out of control, or you guys have it pretty well done? I think that uh, our our management staff has really done an awesome job of uh, managing people as they go on a wait. I would say more often than not, we're on a wait by. 6 30 7 o'clock on a friday or saturday and we have this awesome area over here where they can all kick it we've got a bar out there and as we go as soon as we hit a weight of about 20 people we'll start coming out with food just a little hand food for everybody to tide them over see smart it's 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 intelligent and it's 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 good forethought to say okay we know people are going to be cranky Let's just let's just get them going. So you have a separate bar out here just for people. Yeah, just just for people on wait and you know swings for the kids and fun stuff like that. But I also think that there's a, a an expectation from people who understood uh, Aaron's influence on this place that you're going to have to wait in line every once in a while. 
well, the line here is way better than over there. <laughs> Although uh, I did get, I did happen to just walk in the other day, and there was only like four guys in line, and they still had everything. So yeah, I scored some some sl- some uh, short weight Franklin, which is a, a rare thing here yeah, in Austin. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, so are people? Do you feel like people are making comparisons? Do you feel like your your brisket and everything is being more? Uh, criticized or do you think everyone's just kind of checking out the whole restaurant as a whole? Uh, I think that, yeah, there's an extra level of scrutiny uh, on, on our brisket for sure. That's um, cooked in a different pit. It's obviously going to come out a little different. And certainly once we dress it up on the plate, uh, it's dissimilar to a Texas barbecue restaurant, but in a, in the best way, I think. And so did, uh, was Aaron involved in, a lot of the development or is he more yeah. uh did, did he come and cook with you guys a bunch uh yeah so when i was hired uh our first jnr was actually in the, the back lot of franklin barbecue so i was over there a lot uh just doing r&d trying to figure out the ins and outs of the pit and he was the, he was there uh beside me for a lot of it as we learned the nuances of the uh the oiler Oh, cool. So did you cook with andy and those guys too yeah yeah oh, great awesome. staff over there so you got to basically like stage at at franklin while i didn't do a lot of hands-on on on their pits uh but i observed and uh took as many notes as i could because that's a that's a well-oiled machine well and and you're a planner and it sounds like you like well-oiled machines so do you have like a stack of notebooks somewhere i do yeah (laughs) i've got two of them here and a bunch at home and is that uh you know i'm starting to see uh dylan taylor he's a young guy that's worked at a bunch of barbecue places yeah super talented guy yeah and he t- he's known for taking notes. So do you, are you seeing that more in the in all the industries that guys are just almost making their own cookbooks, like as they work? Yeah, uh, I I always press people to uh, bring a notebook when they when they come on staff and always have it on them. So this is more of a question for my own personal needs, but how do you organize? Because I have a ton of notebooks um, for the show, for other ideas, for things that I work on. How do you like? You've got a hundred pages of stuff. Do you just kind of know what's what? Do you index them? You um, so I have a series of moleskins that uh, I pretty much just slapped a series of different stickers on, so I can tell which one's which. And I have a series of smaller notebooks that I'll transcribe into the moleskins. So you're kind of condensing the information. Yeah. yeah. So I'll scribble something down and then try to flesh it out in a more formal format. Uh, but I definitely prefer handwriting my notes to typing them. Yeah, I actually I took notes for this while I was uh, doing some stuff, but I can write on my <laughs> on my phone now, which is pretty fun. Uh, because I've been between notebooks and electronics and you know Trello and all these other apps, it's it's a it's a huge challenge when you have so many ideas. When you're doing you know every day, you might notice, oh wait, the top right burner of this stove is cooler. You know, is it does it f- does it feel overwhelming sometimes, all the things you're trying to capture in those notebooks? Uh, certainly. Uh, I, I don't think I catch everything, uh, which you know, I'm glad we have a, a solid staff who uh, can do that. We all, we all kind of carry each other's slack whenever there is any. And the, the other three uh, chefs all come from Uchi, so they're very well trained when it comes to organization. And I'm guessing you guys probably have a lot of meetings and like powwows and yeah. things. Is that... Uh, it must be interesting because you probably, you know, 10 years is a long time, but, you know, that's not that that's not long for you to go from, you know, learning to being here and just kind of seeing like 
do you do you look at these guys and remember when you were sitting there trying to take notes and learn from the beginning? Absolutely. Is it is it kind of a fun thing to think about? Yeah, uh, there there are some kids back there who remind me of myself when I was a you know twenty three year old line cook. And are you uh, you got any in the back of your head that you're like, oh, this guy's gonna have his own restaurant in, Absolutely. in ten years? Yeah, they're they're gonna get there. Uh, do you see? You know, you guys just came out of the gate running. Uh, do you see? Yeah, is this gonna stay pretty consistent? Do you want to try to? take it in other directions? Are you going to do maybe some like micro gastronomy specials or do you have a, you know, you don't have to give me all your details that there's no, you know, I don't, I don't force information out of people, <laughs> but are, do you have some fun surprises in the future? Are you thinking yeah. about some, some cool ideas? Yeah, we're in R and D for some pretty awesome new uh, menu items right now. And uh, yeah, the sky's the limit with this place. That's what I love about it. We kind of, we get to decide what kind of barbecue this is. Nice. And are you getting, I'm guessing everyone that works at, the Uchi and other restaurants and things come by here all the time, and you guys go there and yeah, absolutely mess with each other. And it's uh, it's one of the be- one of the best meals in town, Uchi and Uchiko. And yeah, I mean, I I remember the first time I went, and uh, they told me to eat, like to put the fish on my tongue first. Yep. And I was like, upside down. Okay, this is this is cool. Yeah. Like it. And you it know, works. It's it's a uh, you definitely some people have to save up for it, but you know every bite is just going to be exquisite. And you yeah. know this is a this is a similar situation. You're getting a little more food here. Yeah. But uh, it, just everything, you know, you guys are killing Instagram right now. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you guys use hashtags or anything like that, but, um, you know, anyone who wants to check it out, L-O-R-O is like, you, you guys, and you got a, a, a great staff. I, I was talking uh, to Taylor about Sarah. Yeah. She's a, you know, cool social media person. I'm, I've been making friends with the social media people and everyone because I, I do all my own social media right now. Yeah. And it's just really interesting to see what they choose. And, you know, some people are more curated. Some people just do stories right in the kitchen without a mic or anything. And My, uh, my schedule since we opened has uh, prohibited me from being anything other than a slacker on social media. So <laughs> it's mostly pictures of me on my day off. Yeah, well, you got to make your underlings take pictures of you and run your social media for you. Be like, hey, by the way, as soon as you're done, you know, prepping this sauce or whatever, you got to take a picture of me. <laughs> might, I might take you up on that. <laughs> Seriously, it's a. Uh, I've been, you know, I've been lucky enough to have some interns and some helpers, and uh, you know, sometimes they screw up royally, but every once in a while, you know, they they really take things out of your hands and make it better. And uh, that's kind of the beauty of the world we live in is like. You could literally be capturing your whole life, every moment of it. Yeah. And I like to think about that because, you know, you're, you know, you, you kind of came in here, got married, opened a new restaurant, and, you know, maybe you, you can share some of that stuff with your kids when they see it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's fun to, to know that in 10 years or 20 years or your grandkids can be like, oh, look at this restaurant I used to work at, and you yeah. don't need, like, a big book. That's where I'm hoping my notebooks will end up, yeah. Uh, do you, when you're writing, do you... Are you just writing for yourself or do you sometimes think about like, maybe I should write this different because someone else is going to read it? Um, I mainly write for myself, uh, but uh, more specific to the moment. Uh, I used to write more for myself in uh, uh, a relaxing capacity through college. Always something I've done. I like to get back into it. Clear your head kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, there's a lot of that. Um, I've been doing it for years, and now a lot of these, like Tim Ferriss. Actually, Tim Ferriss lives here. Has he been by the restaurant? Do you know? I don't know. Uh, but he uh, he talks a lot about like writing or meditating and 
I listen to Joe Rogan a lot. He talks about like floating and all yeah. these like crazy things. And float. It's awesome. Yeah? yeah. Do you do you go to one of the places in town? Uh, I need to find one here. I've only done it once. Okay. Uh, but it was awesome. This little saltwater bath. Yep. Uh, and so you, you have all these amazing connections to, you know, great restaurants in Austin. You've got a, a, a handful of greats that helped open this place. I saw you went to Creekstone Farms. Are you... Are you also doing research on like where you're sourcing the meats from and all yeah, that? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, Aaron's got a great relationship with Creekstone, and it was really cool to go up there and see the uh, see the whole operation. And what are you looking at? Are you looking at more of the butchery? Are you looking at how they're raising them? Or yeah, I I think the whole the whole process is hugely important. Uh, I'm not a big fan of big box meat operations, just because the the way the animals are treated ultimately affects the the way they taste. Of course. And uh, I think Creekstone does a really good job of humanely caring for their animals all the way through the process. Well, and it's good to be friends with them because brisket, I don't know if there's a shortage yet, but brisket is definitely in high demand. It's always, it, th- th- there's definitely a shortage uh, as barbecue becomes more popular. Uh, and certainly in the summertime, it's less and less beef grades out prime. So we're all kind of fighting for it. Is that, is that just because of the heat or? Yeah, it's uh, mostly because of their diet and the heat. So it just, they can't, they can't they gain can't enough fat? It. Yeah, exactly. Huh. So it's hard to fatten cows there's in always the summer? A, there's always a prime beef shortage in the summertime. Wow. See, every time I do one of these interviews, I'm always <laughs> learning something new. So, and that's just because of the grade? Are you, yeah. what's the difference? Do they feed different cows different things? Or Oh, sure. Yeah, I mean, you'd, you'd be hard-pressed to uh, equate how you know, 44 Farms, Creekstone feeds their cattle versus one of the bigger name uh, commercial operations. And... Have you tried to cook one of those commercial briskets before? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> when we were opening in the pit room, I think we cooked uh, probably, we cooked briskets from 17 different operations, I think was the final number. Just wow. to Try them all. really figure it out. And did that, was that before, that was after you guys had already kind of decided the process to cooking? Yeah. And then you started using different briskets? Yep. And there was, there's a lot of tweaking throughout uh, since it wasn't our background. And plus, uh, we were cooking on a 250-gallon pit. Uh, the, the same welder made our pits for the restaurant, but those are 500s. So we had to wait until the pits were actually in the restaurant to fire them up and then figure them out as fast as possible so we could open. Well, and it takes a day or two to season them and just get we them all ready. We did four days. It, oh, four days. Yeah. Scrub the insides with bacon fat. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so you like really season them like cast iron. Yeah. Uh, did that... Did you immediately notice a difference, like after that four days? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it's kind of cool to watch them change colors from uh, from their raw polished metal to what they are now, as they develop a patina. And is that that does a certain amount of preserving too, right? Because they yeah. won't rust if they're all greasy. Exactly. Uh, so do you get in there and clean the pits here too, or do you? Uh, we're on a we, I, we do it once a week. That's a that's, yep. that's a tough day. And it's not uh, yeah, it's not fun. Yeah, it's a it's a giant hot closet you have to crawl into uh and i know you know i can see from here how clean the kitchen is so does the smoke does does the barbecue coming in kind of present a challenge or you guys just scrub the crap out of everything yeah it's uh it's a pretty seamless transition from the pit room to the production kitchen so you're not getting like smoke on the walls in there or anything oh no uh the both both pits are vented through 12 foot stacks wow so you got some good flow yeah uh did you, were you involved in 
Like, did someone just make these pits, or did you kind of decide where they were going to go and how they were going to work? That was all decided before I came on board. Well, um, but by people, with the exception know what of doing. the addition of our second oiler, because uh, initially we were running on an oiler and an old hickory, uh, but soon uh, didn't have enough space. Well, it's good to be in demand. It's fun to be popular, right? Absolutely. Um, so you've listened to the show before. You know yeah. we call our fans the Meat Men. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. You know, you you have this beautiful range of high-end culinary, barbecue, you know, you you kind of, you you spread the gamut. So what's your message to, like, the backyard guys or the guys who might be listening in the pit room or one of the other places in Texas now? Uh, And just don't ever get bored. Cooking, uh, cooking any, and in any style is just a method and it's, it's a platform. Um, It's, uh, it's easy to pigeonhole yourself into cooking a brisket just to get eight ounces out of the center so you can tell yourself you did a good job. You know, flesh it out, put something else on the plate. Uh, I'm a big proponent of the Mita is the star of the show, but it's also a vessel for acidity, sauces, pickles. I know that's not that big in Central Texas with the sauce, uh, but I'm a fan of it. Well, and do you think, I mean, even Kreutz's and Lockhart is, has sauce now. Uh, are you seeing, you know, as, as someone who is probably not going to be affected by anything in the barbecue world. Uh, are you are you just kind of trudging your own path and just deciding, hey, I'm going to put, you know, an Asian sauce? Or is it fun to just not have any borders? It really is. Um, I, I absolutely respect and appreciate the traditions of any culinary uh, uh, tradition. I said that twice. Uh <laughs> But I don't think that we should all rest on those laurels. I think that we should see where it goes. Rest on your laurels. Hey, <laughs> zing. Uh, well, and so be here I, all day, folks. If you if you've seen uh, like David Chang's new show on Netflix, yeah, uh, I, he doesn't say it that overtly, but I like how some of these guys are just basically saying like, screw your tradition. Like I'm gonna take a, a Texas beef rib and marinate it korean style yeah, and then cook it exactly you know yeah evan leroy does that really well um and russ rogels and uh Ragels in uh, houston yeah Ragels pastrami beef that. ribs are unbelievable uh you know there's tons of opportunities here and i think that if you if you whittle down any culinary tradition you're going to find every other tradition i mean barbecue ha- it has as much to do with caribbean food as it does with the transatlantic slave trade and beyond you know there's all these traditions flowing from different places and mostly through trying times and hardship, people come out with these beautiful traditions that uh, you know, kind of bring people together. And as a, I was a political science and philosophy major in college, uh, which is obviously why I make barbecue now. Nice. Uh, <laughs> but I think when I started cooking, I really realized that food is, a, is the best form of diplomacy. Well, and uh, I just learned recently that pho was actually uh, influenced by the French yep. in Vietnam. So do you, do you see maybe in 100 years that Texas barbecue or, or just the current food scene will have these dishes that seem traditional but are like something that morphed from yeah. what's going and on now? I, I think, you know, after a few generations, we take those traditions for granted and don't re- remember where they came from. I and mean, one of the best things you can find in Houston, for example, be it Cajun crawfish. And that's not specific to one country. That's a, that, that's a mashup because of history. I was literally just thinking about that. Dude, that's so good. I'm <laughs> uh, because I was thinking too, like, 
I want to see a bowl of pho with like some like boiled crawfish and like you can really take all those things and when you put them together, you know, it's very easy to make it garbage and just like have too many flavors, but if right. you do it right, you know, you've got some magical new thing that no one even thought of. Absolutely. Yeah, it's all about finding the right restraint with all those fl- with all those big flavors. Yeah. And since you are, you know, at at a high end, you're you're looking at not just the whole brisket, but every little bite. Do you have any tips for someone who's in the kitchen who's trying to figure out, you know, like I've got three kinds of Korean dried peppers and I have all these things. Like, how do you develop, a, like, whether it's on the front or the back? I don't really know how to describe flavors, but like, how do you how do you go from you know just just a piece of meat to oh, it's going to have these seven spices on it? Um, I would say keep the cooking process as simple as possible. You know, don't overload. You're gonna you're gonna end up losing a lot of nuance and a lot of flavor if you pile on a bunch of spices to a brisket before you smoke it. See what you can do afterwards. And the biggest piece of advice uh, about brisket in general is save your brisket fat. Chop yeah. it up, render it into tallow, use that on everything. Make it into sauces. I use my brisket trimmings with, uh, I do a lot of stocks and broths. Yeah. So I'll actually, I either put it right in there or I render it on the side and I always have a little jar of fat in the fridge and that thing. Yep. I mean, you can use it to just like protect things. Yeah. And the smoker. You can use the it to finish your briskets. Uh, I, the, it's the base for most of the barbecue sauces that I develop. Some of the guys, uh, who's I just talking to? The pit room makes tortillas with it. I was going to say, some yeah. of the guys are making tortillas with the brisket fat, which yeah. is awesome because it probably gives you a better consistency than sometimes lard. Can. That was another. That was another task that took us about six months to figure out. Was <laughs> making tortillas? Uh, yeah, with the brisket fat specifically. Uh, in certain parts of Mexico, they're traditionally made with pork fat, which is much yeah, yeah. more highly saturated than beef fat, which we didn't necessarily know going into it. Uh, so we kind of made some doughy, flaky tortillas that weren't very good for a while. Some like biscuit tortillas. All of a sudden, I think Michael figured it out. It was all in the resting time. And now they're, you know, signature item. Well, Bram Trip, king of Loro. Uh, <laughs> thank you for having us. Thanks for creating this because it, it truly is unique. And, uh, you know, I, I, I feel bad for the fans that aren't in Austin, but if you get to come and there's a line at Franklin, come try the brisket over here because it sounds like 12 to 15 minutes. Yeah, ideally. Until your food comes out. Yeah. That's, uh, that's pretty impressive, man. Thanks, dude. So Thank you. Have you out here. Hey, they call me the meat man. Y'all don't see me eat now. Hit on the meat man. Y'all don't see me eat now. I got jaws like a bear trap, a teeth like a razor. I made tack tongue with a sensitive taster. I was born out in Texas called the land of beef. Never catch a muscle greener, showing the hell of like a meat on the meat man.